did not enough just to have a long and happy life with me. Welcome to the Graveyard Slot, where we talk about movies past their prime time. Here, we revisit old favorites with a fresh perspective to see if they deserve more credit or if they should stay buried. I'm Sohini. And I'm Sarah. And today we're talking about Twilight. Again! Again. (laughs) (laughs) This is our anniversary episode. It's been a year since we started this podcast, so we will be returning to Twilight, aka our pilot, and, you know, looking at it with a fresh perspective. That's the key word here. (laughs) So, as a refresher, Twilight follows Bella Swan as she moves in with her dad and returns to the town of Forks, where she discovers the mystery of the Cullens and their youngest son, Edward. It was released, as we know, in 2008, and Directed by Catherine Hardwick, written by Melissa Rosenberg, who is well-known in the world of TV for Dexter, Jessica Jones, and the rest of the Twilight Saga movies. I'm getting deja vu. (laughs) (laughs) As Sarah mentioned, the main purpose of this episode is to revisit the first movie that we ever discussed on this podcast. And aside from that, there's also a secondary reason, which is a bit of an ulterior motive on my part. Since Twilight was one of the first movies we ever discussed, I feel like I didn't do a good enough job (laughs) of defending the movie that I basically grew up on and really enjoyed as a kid. So to do teenager me justice, I wanted another shot at defending this movie. Although I don't know how well I'm going to manage this time around. (laughs) Because so that we would have a slightly different perspective and come at it from a fresh angle, we both decided to read the book before rewatching this movie. And for Sarah, it was the first time. And for me, it was revisiting the book after a long time. And having done that, hopefully we will both have some new thoughts on the movie specifically as an adaptation of the novel. Yeah, it was an experience reading the book. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good way to describe it. I also had an experience. (laughs) Actually, one of the reviews that does mention this as an adaptation is from TV Guide magazine. And it reads, in terms of bringing the book to life, Twilight is a complete success. So much so that most of the film's flaws work within the context of the story. I don't know that I agree with this. I do understand the sentiment that I did see in a lot of reviews, which is that it's a pretty faithful adaptation, which I can't entirely disagree with, just in comparison to other adaptations. (laughs) And it's not like they deviate that much from the book, but they actually just made very few mistakes, I think. But those mistakes were in very important parts of the story. And I'll just say it right off the bat, I guess, which is Bella and Edward's relationship. I think they get that so wrong in the movie. Mm -hmm. But like all of the story beats are there. That's correct. Like all the main parts, I guess. And they only made one mistake. Unfortunately, that mistake is Bella and Edward's relationship. (laughs) It's kind of important. Yeah. That's my take on it. I agree completely. When I read this review, I was very surprised. I didn't realize that you thought it was a bad adaptation. I guess the thing is that over the years, I've revisited the movies a lot more than I have the books. So in my mind, yes, it was a faithful adaptation in the way you described that the major story beats are there. But going back to the books with a much different perspective, I mean, revisiting it at a much older age, I found that a lot of the nuances that were in the 
book weren't really translated into the movie. And I mean, I understand a lot of it has to do with saving time. But the thing is, a lot of the parts they sacrificed may have seemed like they weren't as important to the story. But unfortunately, they ended up sacrificing a lot of the details in Bella and Edward's personalities. <laughs> I think that is to the detriment of the quality of the movie, basically. So when I'm looking at the movie as a standalone, it doesn't seem as bad. But with the book so fresh in my memory now, I can't help but feel like actually, no, I don't think this adaptation is a complete success. That's a great point that like they sacrificed a lot of the you would think inconsequential moments but they're actually the building blocks of the relationship present in this movie and I think that's such a like a writing 101 you know but I wonder if Melissa Rosenberg is just so used to writing TV that she's not used to like condensing a long story into an hour and a half or whatever even though she's worked on movies before but at least to me, it feels like a rookie move, both in writing, but especially in book-to-movie adaptations, which is a very hard thing to do. So I understand how this could happen. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm throwing Melissa Rosenberg under the bus. Fuck her. <laughs> Last time you targeted Catherine Hardwick, and this time it's Melissa Rosenberg. Last time I was praising Catherine Hardwick. I thought she was making great commentary on the vampire teen genre. I was wrong, clearly. I now have a much better understanding of this movie. <laughs> So maybe fuck her too, hey. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, is there any review that spoke to you? Yes, there is one that I wanted to mention, which is from USA Today. And it reads, Meyer is said to have been involved in the production of Twilight but her novel was substantially more absorbing than the unintentionally funny and quickly forgettable film. This mostly echoes my sentiments on this movie now that I've just finished reading the book, especially the unintentionally funny part. <laughs> Which negates the second half of this review, which is the quickly forgettable. But because I think this movie is so rich with these absurd moments that it does become... Very hard to forget. <laughs> yeah. Not sure if that's in an entirely positive way, but this is not to say that the book doesn't have any faults, because it sure does. <laughs> but I did think that it is in many ways a lot more engaging and nuanced in terms of the way the characters are written. One thing I noticed the movie did a lot is it changed the way that one event in the story informed the other one. I think in the book a lot of it was a lot more emotionally driven whereas in the movie a lot of it is more action driven i think to save time this review i think captures my thoughts on the movie now so i've already failed in my ulterior motive i was gonna try and defend <laughs> it but now i'm gonna join you in bashing it i just want to say i commend this review for being able to treat it seriously in the conversation of a book to movie adaptation it's like yeah maybe the book was shitty maybe the book wasn't shitty but like the movie is shitty in a very different way like it's not because of the book <laughs> yeah. There are so many ways to not do this. <laughs> We're looking at it from an adaptation perspective. And so regardless of the quality of the book itself, we're looking at the quality of the adaptation. And in that, we just want to see which version did better in conveying the story. And even with all its faults, we think the book did it better. 
Yeah, and not only that, but like specifically, did the movie do a good job of conveying the story that the book did? Even if like the movie is telling a really good story that's better than the book, but it tells a different story, that would still be a bad adaptation. Right. Anyway, so we will be discussing this movie chronologically as always, and we open with the deer sequence. Mm-hmm. I know now, of course, that it's not in the book. <laughs> Yes, this exact scene is not in the books, but we do start off with a prologue in the book, which references Bella facing off with some kind of hunter. And I really liked the ambiguity in the prologue about who that hunter could be, because, you know, we all want to believe that it's true love and Edward could never hurt Bella, but the possibility that that could happen being highlighted before the story even begins is really interesting because it's almost like we are never allowed to forget the fact that he is a dangerous predator who could, you know, if he loses his self-control for even a second, he could very seriously harm Bella. But this is not really translated into the movie. Yeah, in this sequence though, we do get that voiceover from Bella that says, dying in place of someone I love. And the framing device is that this is her voiceover from when she's on her way to die. I like that framing device actually, and it gives us a reason as to why there's voiceover. Mm -hmm. Like you said, this framing is also present in the book, but I want to go back even earlier than the preface. Even further back, you're just going to close the book and put it away. (laughs) No, the epigraph, which reads, But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Genesis 2.17. And I think this does a good job of framing Bella's discovery and journey as her downfall. The more she learns of the actual danger, the more she learns of vampires and all that, the more in danger she is. I mean, I don't subscribe to this, obviously, but this is an interesting take to look at the story from this lens. Like, because I guess that's true. Like, everybody else in this town also lives amongst the vampires and werewolves and whatever else. And yet, they're not in danger because they don't know. Again, a very dangerous take, but <laughs> let's not apply it to real life. I think that's really interesting. Oh yeah, you're right. The more Bella finds out about these things that she never believed could be real, the more she's drawn into that world and it's almost inevitable that she'd be put in danger because of it. The introductory sequence is actually pretty close to the book where she leaves her mom and stepdad and goes to live with her dad in Forks. And while last time we commended this movie for portraying a mother who had her own life and was not villainized for it, I will say in the book it's less so. She's not villainized for it, but the facts are that in the book she is kind of this irresponsible mother and this situation for Bella especially is so severe, is so extreme that she literally feels the need to banish herself so that her mom can do whatever the fuck she wants. So I thought that was interesting. I will say they portray a much more concrete relationship with the mom in the movie. In the book, she's barely in it. So I thought that was interesting, the choice to do that. In terms of the relationship with the mom, the way that it's depicted in the movie, I think part of it might just be because it's easier to translate into phone calls instead of emails. (laughs) But yeah, there's... Definitely a difference in the way the relationship between Bella and her mom is portrayed in each medium. In the book, 
I wouldn't necessarily say that the mom is substantially more villainized for being flighty. No, I don't think so either. Especially because the narrative is framed from Bella's perspective, who clearly thinks very fondly of her mom. But I can see your point coming at it from an older reader's perspective. One thing that we're supposed to really pinpoint about Bella is that she's really selfless. And while that's supposed to be a strength, I think after a certain age, you can start to realize that she shouldn't have to be selfless in this way. I agree that phone calls are easier to do in a visual medium than emails. But I think one thing that we are missing in this translation is that in the book, Bella like ignores so many of her mom's emails and she outright lies to her about so many things and how she's doing in Forks. And in the movie, it seems more like she's more open with her mom. Mm. So Bella arrives in Forks. Yes. <laughs> Nothing's really changed here from the previous viewing for me. I still think that this is a great depiction of the father-daughter relationship that has grown distant over time and especially love Charlie's performance in this scene. And yeah, it's pretty similar to the book as well. I think the new light that the book puts the scene in for me is the fact that Bella is so aware of where Charlie stands with her and furthermore, even with her mother. Later, we learn not just that Charlie misses Bella and cares for her a lot, it's that he's also still hung up on her mother and he's kind of stuck in this time in his life in the past where they were family. And I think in the movie, I did get the sense that she understood more so later on in the movie, but in the beginning, I I wouldn't be able to say that she knew right off the bat that Charlie felt the way that he did. I can see that. And also another aspect that maybe wasn't quite translated is that Bella sees herself as quite similar to Charlie. So there's an unspoken agreement oftentimes between them. You know, like they have their dinners in silence and they don't interact too much and they're both okay with it because they see themselves in each other. So it's less awkward and more comfortable Yeah, in some parts. It is awkward, but that's like the awkwardness between a teenager and her dad and also a parental figure that you haven't seen in a while. But there is also a sense of kinship, which isn't quite translated into the movie version. Yeah, the awkwardness in the movie is solely from the distance between them, whereas in the book, it very much is just the way they are. They're both very quiet people. They actually understand each other quite well in the book. So you're absolutely right. Bella's home life is so much more of a thing in the book. The thing is, like, that's the entire book. All she does is cook and do homework. Yeah. <laughs> we just watch her go to school, go from class to class to class to class, and then she goes home, and then she cooks dinner, and then she goes to school. To <laughs> I am losing my goddamn mind. If things get particularly exciting, it's when she's doing laundry. <laughs> that's, like, the highlight. Yeah. So it is incredible to me, maybe kudos to the movie, that they somehow did not depict this but as much as it did get very repetitive and torturous for me I did like it like it felt homey and comfortable and it felt like a real life yeah and not a main character's life in the movie I think they completely lost the sense of comfort and coziness and the humdrum of Bella's life and I would disagree with the sentiment that like oh that would be boring like you can't have that in a movie if it's not action-packed and I'm like no if you're trying to make an action movie maybe no you're right and especially the humdrum part of it is what makes the appearance of the Cullens all the more interesting the contrast between her regular life which is interrupted by these mythical creatures the contrast of those two things the friction between the two is 
what is interesting in the books. There's this part where she's describing Edward sitting in the little kitchen <laughs> and how out of place he looks. That image could kind of stand for the whole of the story, the way that he's walked into this completely ordinary life and turned it upside down. So without the quiet, the extraordinary stuff doesn't really have the same effect. And the small town life thing as well, which is reflected in Bella's life. We can also see that in the other characters because when Bella goes to school, everyone already knows who she is. And we understand that that's very much ingrained in the setting. But in the movie, because this, you know, small town life aspect is missing, it feels like everyone knows her or notices her because she's, you know, the main character. <laughs> I have so much to say about that whole thing because I think they fucked it up <laughs> so much. But here we actually meet Billy and Jacob super early on, whereas in the book, that's not really the case. What I found really interesting is that in the movie, Billy and Charlie like mess around with each other and they're more like school boyfriends than anything. And it's not really like that in the book. Sorry, did you say school boyfriends or did you say school <laughs> boyfriends? Would their ship name be Barley or Chili? <laughs> Chili because they would cook together. <laughs> He can't even cook. So I guess they're both into fishing. They just can't cook anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe all those fishing trips that Charlie takes, he's going on like fishing dates with Billy. <laughs> it would be really, really cute. <laughs> we got off track again. But yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting that they are so playful in the movie. And actually, that goes for everybody. And I think this is just an aspect of the movie that I really like. They do a really good job of building up the community around them. I mean, there are some failures that we'll talk about later with the school. But for the most part, the movie is pretty well made. There's always things happening around them. So like this introduction with Billy and Jacob, we get Charlie and Billy messing around and we understand that there's a pre-established relationship there and they're messing around in the background while Bella and Jacob are reconnecting. And I think they do a pretty good job of this throughout the whole movie. Like there's always things happening in their surroundings. It's a real established world and I really like that. Yeah, absolutely agreed. It's kind of strange to me that they did such a good job with characters that might be considered in comparison a little more underdeveloped in the books whereas with the main characters who had a lot more personality in the books they completely got rid of any personality <laughs> it's like they made the more serious characters more playful and then the more playful characters serious and intense and too brooding and just yeah yeah you're totally right is it in the book that she and jacob weren't friends as kids like jacob's too young yeah actually i really liked their relationship in the book like a lot i thought it was really fun yes and there was so much involved in the building of that relationship that spoke to each of their characters whereas here they settle into this familiarity all too quickly and it doesn't tell us anything about these characters because the fact that in the book bella didn't remember jacob all that well is a reflection of the unwillingness with which she spent her time in forks as a kid and also the way that she gets closer to him in the story is by basically basically kind of flirting with him trying to get information out of him because she's humoring him because he clearly likes her and that whole dynamic and what it says about each of these characters is completely missing from the movie and I think that just makes their relationship more flat yeah so we finally get to the school yeah Bella's first day I understand now that the nice car comment was a joke <laughs> <laughs> 
a lot of revelations for both of us, but especially for you. Yes. So the way this is done in the movie is quite different from the books because in the movie, Bella meets her classmates in really quick succession, one after the other. Whereas in the book, the story takes more time. She basically goes through the entire school day from class to class before she is acquainted with the people that she'll basically become friends with. I mean, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but because the book took more time with it, I just preferred that depiction. I agree with you. The main thing for me, the biggest failure for me is, like you said, their ability to convey the small town effect that is causing all of this hubbub around Bella. If they just did a good job with that, I don't think it would feel as much of a flaw. In the book, like you said, we understand that everybody knows her and her family. They know that she used to come every summer or whatever. They know about her mom. They obviously know her dad. And this is a line from the book. It reads, I was expected. A topic of gossip, no doubt. Daughter of the chief's flighty ex-wife. Come home at last. Like, there's such a clear picture of what's happening here. And we understand why everybody knows her. And in the movie, they completely failed at this. And another thing, I am so upset by this, but the set of the school bugs me so much. In the book, we spend so much time there that it's such a big setting and it's such a weird small town school where like all of the classes are in different small buildings there's no like indoor hallway or anything they have to like take off their coats every time they walk into a class and then hang it up and whatever and this is new for Bella as well because she never went to school here it was just this whole thing of like always being outside whenever they're not in class because there is no inside (laughs) I thought that was like such a big part of the book and the fact that they failed to do this in the movie I think is such a big miss. You're right. And like so many moments with Edward is like them outside. Like I don't know what it is but like the environment of Bella and Edward having their own moments and conversations outside in like nature almost is different than when you watch the movie and they're in this hallway and they're fluorescent lights. Yeah. The strangeness of the school is such a big trait of the book and the story, I think. And again, emphasizes how small this town is. I think it was such a big miss for the movie to have a regular school, not only a regular school, a big school. That school is huge! What the fuck? (laughs) Bella, where are you? That's a great point. That didn't occur to me, but now that you mention it, Bella is constantly very disgruntled about the weather (laughs) to the point where it interferes with her sleep. (laughs) It's another aspect of her feeling stifled and not feeling like she really has a choice in having to live here. And, you know, her attitude towards the weather and the way it changes throughout the book is also an indication of her perspective shifting as she becomes closer to Edward. So the weather and the environment, the natural surroundings are a really big part of her character. And there really isn't much room to explore that because of this setting because as you said it's completely different to what was depicted in the book. One thing that I had kind of a gripe against is that she also meets a lot of the characters in this part just sort of wandering around. Like Tyler she meets when she's getting out of the car and she's just walking around trying to find her way when Eric comes up to her and 
I just, I liked it better in the book because each character was introduced within a more concrete setting, which again informed the character and their interactions and their attitude towards Bella. And a lot of that was just omitted in the movie. Yeah. Eric's introduction is so fucking clunky. Like he just walks up to her. And I think the comment about like, oh, you're going to be front page news is supposed to convey the same thing as like, she's the daughter of the chief of police and his flighty ex but i don't think it succeeded not at all i think it's very poorly written and poorly portrayed yeah and angela too the first thing she does is take a picture of bella without her permission it's like maybe say hi first have a conversation ask her permission yeah mike's introduction on the other hand is a little bit more natural she smacks him upside <laughs> the head with a volleyball we get something out of that because it builds on Bella's character that she's terribly clumsy. You know, his reaction also can tell us a little bit more about him and that scene I don't mind as much but the other character introductions could have been a lot better while we're on the subject I will say I absolutely hate in the book they made her so clumsy like I cannot express she can't walk <laughs> they mention it every two sentences and she cannot do anything it is a lot I agree but Actually, I also really love Jessica's introduction. Her character is established so well in the movie. Not as opposed to the books or anything. Just like immediately we know even her crush on Mike without it being in the dialogue. They're showing us, not telling us. They finally got something right. And we talked about this. But Anna Kendrick stands out so much in this movie. She does such an amazing job. I know people make jokes about it all the time. About the fact that Anna Kendrick is in Twilight. But she's amazing in this movie. Yeah, she really embodies the character really well and because of that a lot of the unspoken things become really clear to the viewer without them having to insert it into the dialogue so it's clear that the good parts of this movie that we keep finding is a lot to do with the portrayal because it's just in Jessica and Charlie. I mean, we have to give the actors their due credit. I think they do elevate what's given to them to give us characters that we're actually interested in, which is a lot more than we can say for many of the characters in this movie, unfortunately. Especially with Jessica, I think she was a really great translation of the character from the books. Yeah. So the Cullens show up during lunch and they are all in white and I don't understand why. To emphasize their paleness. <laughs> Wouldn't it be more like conspicuous if they have a drop of blood on it? Is this like Carlisle's way of keeping them on the straight and narrow? They're like, if you eat anyone, I'll know. <laughs> yes, it's the Collins mandatory uniform. You cracked it. It's weird. It is weird, yeah. And their overall demeanor is also really weird to me because their big thing is that they don't want to draw attention to themselves. Except everything they're doing is drawing attention to them. <laughs> I feel like the interpretation from the book is too literal. Because in the book, Alice is described as so graceful that she looks like she's dancing when she's just walking across the cafeteria. But in the movie, she's actually dancing. <laughs> It's just very odd. They couldn't stand out more. The fact that they're family, but they're fucking each other, I still don't oh get. In the book, they actually have this whole thing about like, so which ones of them are Cullens? Yeah. There are the Cullens and then there are the Cullens partners. Whereas in the movie, they're just all together. together. <laughs> well, moving on. Next up is pretty much the only class 
they ever go to biology. So Bella walks in and Edward has this giant fit right there. Again, there's a lack of subtlety in the movie because in the book, all Bella does is walk past him and he gives her this murderous glare. And then the whole class, he's battling with himself to not murder her. But on the outside, you can't tell. Like he's acting very odd but the way that they magnify this in the movie as if people would be too dumb to get it otherwise it's just insulting and it ruins the whole thing <laughs> it's funny that you use the word magnify because what i'd like to point out is the fact that in the i i have to say they must be fucking with us because in the movie they literally put a giant fan behind Bella. And when I say a giant fan, like they could have also just put like a regular fan. No, they put a giant fan the size of like her body. From the bottom of her torso to above her head, blowing her scent towards Edward, where he's like losing it. I will say, this goes for the entire movie, but especially the scene and scenes like this. Reading the book does give so much context to the point where like, the first time I watched this, I like was not fucking with you. I just did not understand what was happening. Like, it was bad, but it was also confusing. Like, I don't understand where anyone's coming from. They're doing a bad job of telling the story. Now that I've read the books, it's so much clearer, which goes to show like how much of a failure this adaptation is. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, now it's really funny because I know what it's supposed to be. Yeah. But yeah, to your point, in the book, the thing that makes Edward rude in this scene is that he ignores Bella. He doesn't say a word to her and that's what offends her. Yes, that and the fact that he you know, looks like he wants to kill her. <laughs> well, yes, that too. But like, it's not that he's like covering his mouth or whatever. Yeah, exactly. When you watch the movie for the first time and you were confused, that is kind of how it should be because Bella is also confused. She doesn't understand the situation. She doesn't understand Edward's animosity, except the animosity they depict in the movie. It's like, it's because she smells really terrible or something. The <laughs> yeah. whole over-the-top covering of the nose is so weird. In the movie, it's that he's acting weird in the book, it said he's acting rude. Yeah, yeah. Like, what we want to know is why he's acting rude. Why does he already hate her when he doesn't even know her? Yeah. Whereas in the movie, it's just, what is he, what is he doing? Is the question. <laughs> yeah. He's staring at her the whole time in class. It's so awful. <laughs> if I were Bella, I would have just left. I would have faked, like, appendicitis <laughs> and just bolted. <laughs> Yeah, this scene is ridiculous. I feel like they got too carried away trying to convey that he's a vampire, trying to foreshadow the whole vampire thing because they also, that I think we already mentioned before, is that they keep showing the villain vampires throughout the movie, which doesn't happen in the book. And I think stuff like this that they do, it doesn't add anything to the movie and in fact takes away from it. And I think it's a result of them being too preoccupied trying to foreshadow the vampire thing. Yeah. Oh, I will say it starts here in the lab, probably because this is our first real introduction to Edward, but I don't like his portrayal. I've heard he's a good actor, but he did not do a good job in this movie. Yeah, I agree. I'm confused about some of the choices both he and Kristen Stewart made. <laughs> I think his choices are more egregious than Kristen Stewart's stuff. Because as we go through the movie, I'm starting to wonder how much of this is the writing and the direction and how much of it is the 
acting because like this scene for example in the lab I don't know if the scene is weird because of the writing as in like he was told to do that or because he did such a bad job of portraying this emotion before this rewatch I would say it was the former but after watching the whole movie and seeing the other choices that he made where like I can't clearly see what the direction was and that he took it too far I have my doubts either way the scene sucks let's move on (laughs) so the next thing we get is Bella having dinner with her dad at the diner this is a new aspect compared to the book where Bella is the one cooking homemade meals this is one of the few changes that I don't mind in the movie because I do think it serves a good purpose it just builds a slightly different relationship between the two of them than we get in the books because as we already talked about there's a little bit more of a familiar environment between the two of them where they agree that they don't feel the need to have conversation whereas in the diner scene here it very much feels more out of their control like the awkwardness is palpable and they don't really know how to break out of it. I think both of them work well in their given contexts. It's just different, but not necessarily bad. Yeah, I don't mind the change with the diner either. It does the job of conveying where Charlie is at again. But yeah, I think one thing that we do lose here is, again, that whole thread about Bella always taking care of her parents. Obviously, Charlie is a much more responsible parent than her mother, but even with him, she feels the responsibility to take care of him. Maybe it's almost like a force of habit. Yeah, this comes from how she grew up. It's not that just like she helps out at home. She runs all of their domestic needs and everything and this is telling of the relationship she had with her mother than it is what it is now with Charlie. But yeah, we do lose that side of her character. That we do. So we've got our first glimpse of the antagonist attacking somebody and we see a bit more of how Charlie takes care of Bella. It's a particularly icy day so he goes out and has the tires on her truck replaced and this is kind of similar to something that happens in the book but I do have to say I also much prefer the way that it's done in the book because a lot of what we've had so far is Charlie's unspoken care for Bella and a lot of the things that she's learned about him and how much he loves her has been through other people so he never really talks about it himself and the tires are no exception because Bella and Charlie don't even interact in the books it's only when she's driven to school and realized how easy it was in the ice and she goes outside and she sees the tires that she realized he's done this for her without saying anything I think the impact of that is tenfold compared to in the movie when Charlie just tells her that he's done it and there's no reaction on Bella's part she's just kind of like cool thanks (laughs) (laughs) I adore it in the book it was a big moment for me in the books I didn't realize that it was for you as well and now that I know that it probably was for everybody yes because it's because of the tires that she's standing there contemplating how much her dad loves her and that's when she gets in the accident it's like a huge part of the story this is what I meant when I said the reasons for things change in the movie because there's a very specific reason in the book why she's standing by her truck looking at the tires when the accident happens whereas in the movie it just happens (laughs) for no reason yeah I adore this moment in the books it was so touching and the fact that like Charlie never mentions it and there's like this implication that Charlie did it like in the middle of the night or like super early in the morning he put so much effort into doing this like it wasn't like a small errand you know yeah but 
Yeah, like you said, a lot of it is unspoken. And there's even this whole thing about when he first bought her the truck. She thanks him and he says, well, now, you're welcome, he mumbled, embarrassed by my thanks. And I think that says so much about Charlie. And it happens like multiple times. The way Bella puts it is that he's embarrassed. But this whole sentiment, I think, is really missing from the movie. In the book, their love is so apparent in their actions. Whereas in the movie, it's more that they're like awkward and they're trying to like navigate this phase where they're reconnecting. Yeah. I was also fine with the differences in their relationship in the movie. It just felt more out of character for him to just upfront tell her. It just diminished the impact of the gesture because it felt so flippant on both their parts. Yeah. Especially Bella. There was no gravity behind the moment. There wasn't even any space afforded for Bella to express any kind of emotion the way that she does in the book. Like she's truly touched by this gesture in the book. It's a much bigger moment. Yeah, I think it's also funny to me that they recognized that this was important enough to include in the movie, but they didn't put any effort into making it an important moment. It was like barely acknowledged. That talks, it's like genuinely one of my favorite moments in the book. It's so good. Yeah. In the book, this is right before the accident and almost like what causes Bella to be in this predicament. But something you said really pinged my radar in that she is contemplating her father and his care for her the moment before she's supposed to die. And I think that speaks volumes. It's brought up later like what would she be giving up if she either leaves Forks or if she dies or if she gets turned into a vampire like what is it that she cares about in her mortal life and Charlie's always factored into that and I think this moment really cements that and maybe even establishes it not for the very first time but one of the more impactful times that she realizes what it is she's got yeah so I think that speaks a lot to the idea that the story and the book is trying to present to us I think that's core to the story the moment when she's supposed to die comes right after her realization of what it is she cares about in her life and her loved ones that's a great point. One might say that this is kind of undermined by Bella eventually deciding that she's willing to leave it all behind once, you know, she gets entangled in Edward's world. And actually, Edward is the one who is throughout so insistent that she not give up her human life and everything that it comes with. It seems like while Bella kind of forgets about everything that's valuable about her mortality and her mortal life, Edward is the one who keeps trying to remind her of the value of what she's got, the value of things that he wishes and characters like Rosalie wish they hadn't lost. I'm sure Charlie would be happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> On my last viewing, I also said that her isolation is what enables everything else that happens to her, vampire-wise. And in the book, I think that isn't true. She isn't as isolated in the books. So I thought that was also a really interesting difference. Yeah, we get a lot more of Bella surrounded by other people in the books than we do in the movie. And there's a lot more weight in the book behind the relationships her family, her loved ones. That's why, I mean, I'm not saying the depiction of the relationship in the books is great and healthy because it's not, but at least we get to see Bella in other contexts. Because in the movie, once Edward steps into her life, everything starts revolving around him. Even something small, like her attending other classes, reminds us that there's an existence outside Edward. Yeah. But, so, in the movie, this isn't where the 
accident happens. Instead, we get another lab scene where they finally talk to each other. Yeah, Edward talks to Bella for the first time. This is important. The first time they talk. I don't like the scene either. I don't know. I like it better than the previous scene, but like... What can possibly be worse than the previous lap scene? Yeah, unfortunately, we're not comparing the movie to itself. We're comparing the movie to the book. <laughs> Nothing can be worse than the first biology scene. But unfortunately, I can't particularly defend this scene either because like a lot of the movie, it's missing the complexities of each of the characters' situations. Because on Edward's part, there's this layer of frustration because he's not able to read Bella's mind. And that's what fuels his curiosity. And I mean, I understand we're not supposed to know about the whole mind reading thing yet. But, but like neither does Bella in the book and they still manage to make it work. The way that his insistence and curiosity is depicted in the book does work a lot better. Especially because him being able to read minds was hinted at before then as well. Like when Jessica and Bella were talking in the cafeteria, Bella is almost suspicious that Edward can hear because he's reacting to what Jessica is saying. So stuff like that really gives us a hint as to what's going on. That's completely missing from the movie. And on Bella's part, there's also more aspects of her personality that we learn when she's interacting with Edward. Like I said before, she's supposed to be painted as a really self person and I think her decision to move to Forks has a lot of complexities like obviously she's torn about it it's not like she made this decision because she wanted to so there's a lot of layers there in the way she sees the whole situation which is completely lost in the movie it's all so surface level we barely learn anything about them and doesn't compare to the book in my opinion yeah I agree Actually, one thing that I genuinely love in the book is Edward asks her her favorite color and she says brown, which is such a bad answer. She's like, yeah, everything here is green. Everything's covered in green. Where's the brown? And like, it says so much about her character and what she's used to and her history and like her perspective. And that's how she is like the entire book. She's so set in her ways. And in the movie, she's more like a blank slate. And in the book, she's not like the strongest character I've read or whatever. But she's a character in the movie. I can't say as much. That's a great way to put it. She is a blank slate. It's like her life started when she moved to Forks. There's nothing before then. So they have this initial conversation and then right off the bat, Edward says, I'm just trying to figure you out. And like now I know from the book that this is supposed to tell us about his mind reading thing. But in the movie, it happens after their first interaction. It's just a bizarre line to say to anybody at any point. It's still the cheesy bad line, but it's a line that would make more sense after a lot of flirting and back and forth and whatever. But here it's like coming out of nowhere and like it makes him sound so pretentious and like faux mysterious and I hate the way they portray this relationship and I think this is where we can maybe get into what they're like in the book in the book it's so funny and so fun <laughs> they kind of poke fun at each other and they're like making fun of each other mostly Edward is making fun of Bella because Bella keeps getting into situations that are either embarrassing or frustrating and their surroundings aren't privy to the joke that they're in on whereas 
Edward has noticed this really either embarrassing or frustrating thing that's happening to Bella and so he makes fun of her for it but it's really playful and all Edward does for a while throughout this movie is laugh at her from afar. They're building this really playful friendship that makes sense while later on they start talking because they've already had this like back and forth between them even though they're not actually talking and spending time together. So like when down the line Edward at some point says like we shouldn't be friends it's because the question of friendship was brought up through these interactions whereas in the movie it's like they didn't have any of that so they just immediately get to like oh i'm trying to figure you out we shouldn't be friends blah 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 and it's like shut the fuck up edward yes to everything you said (laughs) i think while bella and edward's relationship might not be the healthiest thing in the book the very least we get out of it is that their dynamic is fun they have more than one aspect to their personality like edward has characteristics that exist outside him being an angsty vampire (laughs) and i think one thing the book does particularly well is it allows bella and edward to exist in each other's vicinity without them having to interact in ways that hint at their attraction for each other as you said there are parts where he's just watching her from afar and laughing at things that are happening and she's expressing annoyance at him she's irritated by the ups and downs in his moods it's a lot more interesting and in a way it's almost volatile (laughs) the fact that they can go from being super lighthearted to serious in a second and then another second later they're laughing at each other again it's like super unstable but at least it's fun in the movie it's so one note it's too much of the brooding aspect and not enough of anything else. It's flat. I think a big part here is Edward. In the book, he's more snarky than he is broody. So is Bella. Bella is also more witty and more sarcastic and more acerbic than she is depicted in the movie. In the movie, she doesn't do anything. It's so frustrating. Yeah, but like the thing with the book is that Bella is super snarky because she's being presented by this very annoying snarky Edward. To bring it back to the current scene, lines like this, quote unquote, I'm just trying to figure you out. The way this kind of line is present in the book is when they've had this unspoken acknowledgement that he is a supernatural creature. Like for a long time in the book, Bella knows that he is a supernatural creature. Edward knows, Bella knows. The main question of the story is, what is Edward? So it bugs me more in the movie because that's not the case. I think it was at least a little bit better in the books because we have the context of them both knowing that he is supernatural. I think a really fun part of watching their relationship develop was the realization slowly dawning on Bella that Edward is not quite human and also her grappling with this fact and coming to an understanding with herself. And so when the time comes when she actually finds out exactly what he is, the fact that she accepts it is not that shocking because we have time and space for her to process everything. And yeah, because we have that kind of gray area where she both knows but doesn't know, the little quips Edward makes are more fun and they also took away a lot of the details in the dialogue in the movie for example in the cafeteria in the book she mentions one of her theories about what he could be and she mentions spiders and kryptonite and that whole conversation seems so much more natural in that context there's also that added layer of bella worrying that edward's gonna laugh at her and he's sort of worried but at the same time he is amused (laughs) but in the movie it's a 
straightforward, what if I'm not the hero? What if I'm the bad guy? And it takes away from Bella and Edward's relationship and from their personalities. It's bland. That's a good example because this is the core of it. The movie takes itself too seriously, but most especially the relationship itself. And Bella is openly expressing her disdain for how cryptic Edward is being. And he's laughing in her face because <laughs> because of her theories. And it's like there is something outside of the fact that they're attracted to each other. They built another basis for this relationship to happen. Whereas if you look at the movie and if you try to describe how Bella sees Edward, it's almost like this reverent idolizing basically. Like you are my entire universe now i'm in love with you and that's my only personality trait but what else <laughs> yeah so the accident happens and edward saves her in the movie this is where we meet carlisle and do you think people just think he's got really thick makeup all the time <laughs> maybe he's a beauty youtuber on the side <laughs> But what this leads to is the confrontation with Edward. If you will remember me pointing out earlier on that earlier today was the first time Bella and Edward talked ever. In that context, this whole thing with the accident is so absurd in the book. Their relationship develops so fast, but it's even faster in the movie because at least we get stretches of time between Bella and Edward getting off to a rough start and then Edward interacting with her for the first time and he's still grappling with the idea of being near her because he knows that's not what he should be doing and then that is when the accident happens and all this while he's already had this struggle going on about how he's dangerous for Bella, how he's risking exposure of who he is. And then the accident forces him to further risk his family's secret. And because it happens so much quicker in the movie, there's just none of that. <laughs> it's like they're talking and then a couple hours later, <laughs> he's saving her from an accident. And the next day they're acting like they're friends. Their relationship took several leaps forward in the space of two days it's so jarring and makes their relationship not believable and just so hard to root for yeah there's this whole argument between edward and his family specifically carlisle and rosalie in the movie and they're like telling him off for saving bella but like what was edward supposed to do let bella die whoever was in Bella's place was none of the vampires gonna help because we get a shot of them on the sidelines like after Edward saves her as a you know like oh no what has Edward done you know revealed his powers but like so now I'm presented with the question of how do they contend with this having the ability to stop tragedies happening around them but having to hide their secret I think that would have been an interesting thread and one that I can't ignore once this is pointed out like what duty do vampires have given their abilities do they have to grapple with the choice between helping and keeping their secrecy because to them it's not like they're going out of their way it's so easy for them right like to edward this was nothing to save bella from this crash so like do they see shit like that all the time and let it happen yeah <laughs> I think so. I guess what they prioritize over everything is maintaining their secret. And so if helping someone in that way means risking exposure, then I guess they're not going to intervene. And I mean, you're right in that it's a very interesting thread that they could have explored. And I think to some extent they do in the book. That's what I was thinking too. Because we get a whole background on Carlisle and how he's 
basically making up for being what he is by dedicating his life to serving humans in the medical field. I was thinking more about how Carlisle chose to turn people when they're at the brink of death and there's no other options. That, that was more, I think, for selfish reasons. Because if that were the case and he's going around saving everybody, there would be a lot more <laughs> of them. <laughs> no, this is what I'm saying. This is the thing that he did. Edward got sick. He could not get better. And Carlisle thought, I'll turn him. It'll, one, save him from death. Two, gain me a friend. But so, like, how does... Carlisle contend with the idea that he becomes judge and jury of who can live longer and who shouldn't you know like okay I'll save you but only if I like you you know what I'm saying <laughs> yeah so there's that thread as well I think you're giving it much more thought than they gave it themselves just because like with the scene in the movie it felt like such an obvious and big question which is such a more interesting question of morality yeah it is because the question ends up being like if bella dies in that accident is it on the collins i think that's an interesting question and one that i personally don't know the answer to like you would think the answer is like yeah of course because they could have saved her but they didn't but it's not that simple like you can't say that the collins murdered her or whatever in cases like this in real life this is a real thing that humanity has to contend with and has to question all the time and i think the idea of exploring that in the context of supernatural creatures and their superhuman abilities or whatever and introducing the importance of secrecy and self-preservation that we can immediately understand why they would want that you know like it's not a small thing i think that introduces a lot of nuance to this question that in real life we have to grapple with all the time you know what i'm saying yeah especially in the context of what we learn about edward later that he had these as he calls them rebellious years where he was basically out hunting bad people <laughs> and as you said being judge and jury about who gets to live yeah you're right this could have been a very interesting exploration but yeah i don't think the series goes that in-depth about the questions of morality that are raised by vampirism and having supernatural abilities. Well, I mean, even with the idea that the Collins are good people, we're already presented by the idea that we live in a world where vampires are quote-unquote evil, and yet the ones we know are the Collins, who are quote-unquote good. And Carlisle especially comes from a family who are basically vampire hunters, and then Carlisle gets turned into a vampire, and he hates himself so so much that he devotes himself into basically purifying himself and that already raises a million questions about morality and good and evil yeah and edward also a big thing that becomes like a recurring argument between him and bella is that he believes he doesn't have a soul <laughs> he basically sees himself as a demon and doesn't want to condemn bella to that same fate so there is also that it is explored to some degree but not in a lot of depth i would say interesting i also don't know how i feel about Carlisle picking Rosalie for Edward. I can't remember if Carlisle's intentions are mentioned in that, but it's like she was in a similar position to all of them, basically. She was gonna die, and that's why she was changed. 
But again, it's like he's picking and choosing. There is that, yes. Well, it's either he's picking and choosing who gets to live longer or he's picking and choosing who to condemn to being a walking corpse either way. Yeah, because Rosalie didn't want this for herself, so it's true. So actually, a big thing also that I thought about is like, there must be a complicated resentment that Edward has for Carlisle, especially if he feels the way that he does about vampires. And in the book, it is reiterated multiple times that he really cares for Carlisle, that there's no resentment there and blah, 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 blah. But I'm like, that can't be true, Edward. Like, you say that and this is just like the author being lazy about like oh let's just set that aside let's have edward say everything's cool i love him (laughs) but everything else is telling us that that's not true like the way he feels about what he is what carlisle did to him the way that the transformation itself happens like everything else is telling us this really interesting complicated relationship between carlisle and edward that i would have loved to see but that's just taken completely out of the equation and that would have been so interesting because then we get to see the contrast of edward and carlisle's relationship with bella and charlie's relationship yeah You're right, that would have been a great parallel. And we also get this whole part about Edward trying to go out and try vampirism on his own and then going back to Carlisle. So like there was a moment in his life when he no longer wanted to follow Carlisle's footsteps and like tried to strike out on his own. And then he came back. Like, that presents such a an interesting and complicated history and relationship, and yet we don't get that. Yeah, both in the book and in the movie, the way Edward talks about Carlyle is so reverent. And, you know, the way that Bella seems to see Edward in the movies, like, he has no faults, like, he's perfect. And I guess what is implied is that when Edward does spend his time away from Carlyle, he realizes stuff about Carlyle that makes him return willingly and like makes him see Carlisle in a new light I suppose but you're right because the narrative is trying to tell us something different because Edward still hates himself and the very reason he hates himself should also be a source of conflict for him when he looks at his family because according to his logic they also don't have souls I mean to be fair yeah we can have different standards and expectations of ourselves than we have for other people we can be harder on ourselves than we are on our loved ones that's not the same yeah (laughs) it's not the same because it's like it's the very core of your being it's not like a vice or like a personality trait (laughs) yeah especially since he hates himself still it doesn't really make sense that he's okay with being who he is because of carlisle and i agree that would have been interesting But to go back to Edward and Bella, we get to see a little bit of their banter at the greenhouse on the field trip. Biology field trip. (laughs) Of course, what else could it be? I hate the scene following it while they're in the parking lot, but I like when they're inside the greenhouse. Over the years, re-watching this movie from time to time, I had gotten so used to the overall awkwardness of their relationship that I just took it for granted that that's how it was. But seeing how much more natural it was in the book made me realize how badly the relationship has been adapted into the movie and this is one of the maybe two scenes (laughs) that they're in that I don't completely cringe at. This was the most natural scene between them and it's finally where they're expressing annoyance at each other and Bella's being snarky and Edward's laughing at her. So clearly they are capable of translating that but they chose not to 
which makes it worse. <laughs> yeah. I remember reading this one review. It's from a source called At The Movies, and it said, I think this film is definitely a victim of its own expectations. And from my interpretation, it's correct, because... I don't know what it was trying to do, honestly. Like, it just... <laughs> it was trying to be something that it thought the book was, but it wasn't really. And so because of what it expected the story to be, it completely mistranslated. It completely misunderstood what the book was trying to do. Or at least what the characters were. Yeah. But yes, the field trip is quite nice. The scene afterwards is not. I hate it so much. I hate it with a passion. The one line actually that stuck out to me this time is the fact that she's upset at Edward for acting like he regrets saving her. And here's the thing. In the book, that's what it is. There's this really, really long stretch of time where Edward is being very rude to her. And that's how she came to this conclusion of thinking thinking that he regrets saving her and wish that he had just let her die. But in the movie, there's not this long stretch of time when he's being rude. So they're just like, there's this weird thing going on so far. And then suddenly she's like, you regret saving me. You wish I, I'm dead. And Edward is like, what? <laughs> so yeah, I really don't like the scene. It makes no sense. Everything makes no sense. This is also the part where Edward's like, we shouldn't be friends. And I'm like, when were you when? friends, Edward? Tell me when. Point me to the timestamp. Take my hand. <laughs> yeah, I agree with everything you said. So Bella is at school again, and she's invited to go to the beach with her friends. She invites Edward to go along. And, I mean, we're back to the silted conversations they have. We already kind of discussed some of the dialogue in the scene earlier. And there's another thing they do here in the movie where they have Bella accidentally nudge an apple and Edward catches it in his hands. In the most unnatural way possible. Yeah. It's supposed to be the most effortless thing ever, but you can tell how much effort it took. <laughs> and it's supposed to mimic the front cover of the Twilight book. And it's ridiculous. It's so contrived. It adds nothing to the story and it only solidifies in my mind that they're only catering to the fans of the book. You mentioned this while we were watching because you said that basically this movie only <laughs> makes sense if you have read the book and I also found a similar review saying the same thing from MSNBC and it's like I guess understood among people in general as well and stuff like this just bugs me because I understand giving a nod to the fans of the book, but if you really want fans to be satisfied, then just ma make a good adaptation. <laughs> Stuff like this shouldn't come at the expense of the movie, the quality of it. And this is not a huge thing, but it was annoying and distracting and weird. Yeah. So they go to the push. Edward doesn't come. Yes, I do like that what he tells her as an excuse is blatantly a lie. Because <laughs> he's like, uh, it's a bit crowded. And then snap to basically an empty beach. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. That's so funny. One of the, <laughs> this movie was made by like two people with very different visions. Like one of them <laughs> is like, I mustn't, but I wanna. And the other is like, giant fan behind Bella. <laughs> <laughs> Cover your nose. Yeah. Can you call her Spider Monkey in the next tape? <laughs> I meant take. But this is where we see Jacob again. This is on the Kulyut Reservation. And we learn that the Cullens don't go there. And 
I really, really, really hate that they changed this because in the book, I love seeing the side of Bella because um, she's doing her own thing and then she sees something that she wants. She wants information and she tricks, like outright tricks Jacob by flirting with him. She's anticipating the kinds of things he wants to hear and feeding them to him. It's very sneaky. Yes! And I love the side of her because it's like so strategic too. She starts by making herself look more similar to him than they are to his friend who's older so that he would confide in her and it's so like there's no gray areas here you know like she knows what she's doing she's conning him it's so blatant and it's so fun she even imitates what she finds alluring in Edward and tries to replicate that, which I found really funny. I think what also results from this interaction is that Jacob thinks that she likes him, and I guess he might have had a small crush on her already, but I think this is the real starting point for him to really seriously like her. And this has lasting consequences up until the end of this series. If the scene hadn't happened in the book, maybe Jacob wouldn't even have seriously considered a relationship with Bella. It sets up so much and also gives us a reason why Jacob starts seriously liking Bella instead of it just happening. Again, in the movie, it's like her classmates automatically liking her. It's him just liking her because of course they like her. She's the main character. Everyone likes her. It builds their dynamic so well too because he's also portrayed as like this kid who has a crush on her and how Bella like took advantage of that and I love that. Alongside that, there's also feelings of guilt that she has because of what she did which prompts her to then be extra nice to him in the later scenes and there's so many layers that explain why they're behaving the way they are towards each other. Whereas in the movie, it's there's no justification or motivations or anything. It's just, it is the way it is. Yeah. So while the villains are running all over town killing people, Bella <laughs> is having the time of her life dress shopping. <laughs> Not really. She tags along with her friends who are shopping for the school dance. She separates from them to go to a bookshop and she is walking around in the darkness when she realizes she's being followed by these creepy guys. And luckily before things get out of hand, Edward just pops up out of nowhere. <laughs> in his car <laughs> first of all in the book this scene stretches out for so long but the second thing is that in the book edward basically like just swings by and then she pops into his car and then they drive away super fast yeah <laughs> in the movie <laughs> fully gets out of the car and like just looks at them and the guys <laughs> scatter and i was like what is happening right they now? got the biology treatment <laughs> Anyway, they end up getting dinner. Yeah. So after this meal, there's the research scene. <laughs> oh my god. But basically what happens is at this point, Bella is certain about Edward. And the next scene is her confronting him in the middle of the woods. Yeah. And this is so surprising in the so book. different. Yeah. yeah. They're not in the woods. They're in the car. They have the super frank conversation. And this is, I think, a good change. I think it's fine in the book, but I think it's even more stunning that they do this in the forest. And I think it harkens back to that first opening scene with the prey and predator. So I think they did a good job with this. I also think that each scene 
serves its own purpose in the book and in the movie. Because in the book, the reveal happens almost casually and that reflects Bella's nonchalant attitude about something that she has had the chance to think about and process and ultimately accept. Whereas in the movie, it feels much more like a monumental scene because it's basically where it dawns on her for the first time what exactly he is. Yeah, I think visually, at least, they do a pretty good job in this scene. And so that's part of why I do think the more dramatic moment works because there are these sweeping shots when the secret is just about to be revealed. And I think it's a good way of indicating that things are about to turn upside down for both of them. And there's also a shot of the camera turning to the sky, which is kind of reminiscent of the first shot that we get of the blank sky and then it turning down towards Bella in the very beginning. Except here it's, you know, obscured by branches and everything. And it's almost like Bella's life and existence getting taken over by this whole thing. As much as I love this scene, I don't like the shirtless Edward reveal because of how different it is in the book. Yeah, again, everything happens really fast because here she's just confirmed for about three seconds that he's a vampire and then immediately he's... Diamond boy. Diamond boy. <laughs> yeah. In the book, they do the reveal in the car and then later on he's like, hey, you want to see something cool? <laughs> and then they go on this trip. He shows her his sparkling skin under the sun. And it's more like, now that you know, I can show you. And in the movie, it's like, Bella, look at how wretched I am. And then he shines. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's so weird to me that in the movie, they're like, oh, isn't this just the worst thing you've ever seen? And he's just covered in diamonds. Swarovski crystal. <laughs> yeah, he's just bejeweled <laughs> he can make the whole place shiver yeah even if it's like a bad thing why didn't they say like look at how strange i am i am not human and again this is to me at least it's another example of them changing the reason for why things happen to the detriment of the story because as you said it's almost like a fun thing it's almost like just as proof of how much closer they've gotten that they do this in the book whereas here it's supposed to be a deterrent to bella except they don't even do that well because it's super pretty <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what's your point bella's supposed to be deterred by that i don't this is also in the box where they solidify their relationship they dtr <laughs> yeah <laughs> Where are we? <laughs> Can we send out Christmas cards? <laughs> this is the line where he's just lying fell in love with the lamb. And in the book, this is also where it happens, but in the book, it's like almost a joke. They like laugh. It's like super light. And like there's like that undercurrent of darkness and seriousness, but like... It's self-deprecating. Exactly. It's self-deprecating. Of course, in the movie, it's completely serious. And again, I feel like I just keep repeating myself, but that's basically the whole movie. Yeah, there's a, a much better balance in the book in terms of varying emotions compared to the movie. The movie's so one note, whereas in the book, there's moments of brevity, there's moments where it's more serious, and also it's partly the result of this very complicated relationship between two people who are naturally supposed to be predator and prey but have fallen in love and you know the fact that Edward is grappling with his morality being close to Bella and all of that and Bella is fearing her impending death at any moment there's like a lot of layers that lead to a complex set of emotions and while I can't say that it was amazingly depicted in the book there was at least an attempt there was at least some variation but in the movie it's just 
one thing only throughout and it gets kind of too heavy, too boring. And repetitive. Yeah. In the book, this is also where we get a lot of explanations, one of which is about how every vampire has one or two people who are particularly appealing to them blood-wise. <laughs> and it differs for like every vampire. And this helped me understand the whole thing with Edward and Bella because it's like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It makes me understand why he's like, I can't stay away from you better. The idea that historically, a vampire will always end up killing them like it's not just that he wants to kill her because he's a vampire he is worried about bella's inevitable death specifically yeah and in this conversation we also learn more about his family that this has previously happened to rosalie as well and again details like this don't make it into the movie and so what happens is that this analogy that he has about bella being like this very specific kind of drug to him gets condensed into one throwaway line which without the context comes off as more cringy than it might be in the context <laughs> for sure same with the lion and the lamb line as well. It's cherry-picked out of the context and then portrayed in a completely different way that takes away all of the emotional heft that there might be and just leaves us with something that turns into more funny than it is impactful. But in the box, this is where they kiss and in the movie, they don't. They stare at each other really hard though. <laughs> So soon after this, Bella goes to meet the Cullens, right? Before they do, though, there's this whole montage of Bella questioning Edward about his background. I really hate this scene. I think I wasn't a huge fan of it before, and especially now having revisited the book, and especially after reading the Carlisle chapter, where there's this whole section of the book dedicated to us learning more about Carlisle's background, and by extension, Edward's background. There's so much space dedicated in the book to learning more about these characters and not just them but the lore of vampires because it's expanded upon in the later books as well and it's such a pity that it's reduced to a short interrogation basically in the movie because it takes away again it takes away any weight that those moments have and i think i also said this in the first episode but it makes Bella come across as so insensitive <laughs> yeah. to Edward's situation. Because one of Edward's main things is that he's grappling with the fact that he's a monster in his own eyes. Like, he hates himself. But one thing that he's trying to do to redeem himself is be as good as he can be within the constraints presented to him. And this is at least conveyed with a little bit more detail and nuance in the book. But again, in the movie, it becomes a throwaway line where he's like, I don't want to be a monster and that's it. And it's never built upon. And this is supposed to be the foundation also of his view on Bella being a vampire. And so when he's really opposed to Bella turning, that's the connection we're supposed to make, that he's against this whole thing, against the being that he is. So later on, there's basically no foundation for this conflict between them in the movie. Yeah. I also think that they squander the setting. <laughs> yeah. Because in the 
book, it's this like library or this office or whatever of Carlisle's where they have all this historical artifacts or like pictures or whatever and Edward is telling her this history in this room that is so significant to it. Whereas here, they're like staring out over the cliff or whatever and it's like, what? It would have added so much depth to the Collins and their history. We do actually meet them properly when Bella goes to their home and I would just like to say I think people love the Cullen house right I feel like I've seen this around but having read the book the house in the movie is so modern and like covered in glass and everything and it's like isn't that bad for vampires but also in the book it's supposed to be like a classic old vampire manor not like the most traditional but from the outside it's supposed to look that way and then the back wall is covered in glass so like this is a vampire story they're already going whole hog on the horror thing right so why would you throw away this chance to have a vampire manor is that not the biggest set piece you would want to make in a vampire movie and it's like a basic use of symbolism as well at first you're confronted with this intimidating looking mansion and then once you go in it's actually different to what you imagined it's open and it's light and not dingy and dark and horrible as you might have expected (laughs) i think the parallel there is fairly obvious and while that might have been on the nose it's right there (laughs) they like to be on the nose so the one time they were supposed to show zero subtlety (laughs) but actually while we're at the cullens this is a big part of twilight that i was so surprised that they didn't put in because I thought it was a really big part of the plot is this thread about what is driving Edward. This is the main core of Twilight and they like didn't put it in the movie and I'm so confused. But the whole thing, the whole tension of the movie is that Edward knows that Bella is either gonna die or turn into a vampire because Alice saw it in her vision. Yeah. That's like the quote-unquote secret that Bella realizes over time. It becomes this like un spoken secret and it literally drives edward's whole character it's why he feels like he has to be close to her and why he knows he shouldn't be because it's all of these things like compounded into one right it's the fact that bella is the one for him as in the one that he will kill eventually and also the fact that alice has already seen it happen and by being with her he doesn't know if he's preventing this horrible fate or whether he's cementing it which is like horrible and that's like a great complexity and also like a great reason for Edward to want to be near Bella and like it's not in the movie there was one hint where Bella asks about Alice's power and he's like well her visions can change and that's the only hint at it it's clear that it plays a part except it doesn't come to fruition and like it is literally the core of twilight the the book happens because alice has this vision yeah this is what i mean when i say the movie is missing the emotional punch and the complexities of the book because it's like they took the surface level things they even understood parts that were important but didn't realize the degree to which they were important. Like, they just kind of planted them into the movie. They just cobbled together the parts that they thought were significant enough. And it's all surface level. It's all the motivations and the emotions and the contradictions and the conflicts raging in Edward and in Bella. None of it is there in the movie. It's all about the appearance of it. It's all about how it looks on the outside. But none of the inside. Man, it's really not a good adaptation. (laughs) 
I think I wanted to defend this movie. Well, you know what? We are coming up on, quote-unquote, the best baseball scene in cinematic history, so uh, maybe that'll cheer you up. You're right. <laughs> oh, since we are at this iconic scene, I should mention the soundtrack at this point, because that is... Maybe the best part of this movie, since we've decided now that it's bad. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Tragically. <laughs> Nothing to say about it, just to mention that it is pretty iconic, and for good reason. The soundtrack is pretty sound. <laughs> <laughs> this is when we actually meet our antagonists. And here's the fun thing. In the book, they're supposed to be super rough, and they haven't been able to clean up in a while, but in the movie, it's very different, and they're more stylish, I guess. But I don't hate it. I think it's fun. I also like it. I think they lean into it, especially with the background music and the way they've been styled and their dramatic entrance. I think it works a lot better than the introduction of the Cullens. But I think this is a great way of establishing the way that Alice's powers not only help, but sometimes condemn them and I think that's great I don't know if foreshadowing is the word because like so far we've already started to realize what is happening with Bella and Edward and Alice's vision but it is a great almost like case study of how this works and how we can extrapolate this thing with baseball and Alice's vision into the bigger picture of Edward and Bella. Yeah, because I know a big thread, at least in the books, is that you can pretty much count on Alice. You wouldn't bet against Alice. But I think this instance does show that there are rare times where if you place too much faith in the things she has seen, it might turn around because they were so certain that the other vampires were going to leave that they weren't careful. And that is what led them in the situation that they ended up attracting the other vampires to them. Yeah. So this is where we see the villains clearly for the first time. But unlike in the book, we have been seeing glimpses of them in the movie, which I really dislike. This is my biggest gripe against this movie is that we keep breaking away from Bella for these scenes. And I think it's completely unnecessary because I'm guessing the reason they did this is so we would have this sense of an ominous presence haunting the town and something sinister is happening in the distance. But we could have had that without these separate scenes because when the first attack happens, the next thing is Charlie telling Bella that a security guard was attacked by an animal. And the second time, it's one of Charlie's acquaintances who is attacked and Bella actually sees basically the body found by the police. And so each time without having to see those attacks, we see the aftermath already, which serves enough as foreshadowing. And as Bella learns more about the vampires, it begins to dawn on her that something else entirely is going on. And so we have that realization too. And I don't think that would take away necessarily from the impact we feel upon seeing the vampires now. In fact, I think it would be more impactful if we saw them for the first time here. That's a great point. I, you've changed my mind. I'm with you. Yay! <laughs> One thing I do like about this scene is because they have that scope to use the thunderstorm as a background for the game, they also use it to underscore the animosity between Rosalie and Bella. There's this point where they're looking at each other and the thunder rings in the background. And I thought that was actually really cool. <laughs> but so we've already done this movie before. One of them wants to eat Bella. They run away. And Bella fakes breaking up with Edward. She walks out on Charlie to lead the hunter away. And this is a really interesting difference between the book and the movie. Both in the book and in the movie, she basically purposefully echoes what her mom supposedly said when she left Charlie. But 
in the movie, it's more she leans into hating forks and that's why she wants to leave and mirroring her mother's dissatisfaction with forks whereas in the books her reasoning is that she likes forks too much she likes edward and she could stay here forever and she doesn't want to she doesn't want to get stuck here and get sucked into this life and so it's a very different reasoning and i thought that was fascinating that they made this change i think it also has to do with the fact that they didn't establish you know like Bella's humdrum life her spending like dinners and whatever with Charlie and so that's the reason for the change yeah that's kind of what I was thinking because I thought the change might have been because they don't really establish Bella's mother's background of leaving the small town escaping the small town I guess and so that feeling of not wanting to get stuck like her mom almost did wouldn't maybe make as much sense in the movie and Bella's humdrum life is a part of it because her life is domestic in a similar way to what her mom's would have been you know cooking and cleaning and doing laundry apart from the time when she's at school so the shift there from liking forks too much to the extent that it scares her that this is what her life will be for the rest of eternity shifting that to her hating forks maybe makes more sense in the context of the movie and the lack of this character development i think the reason why it works and doesn't really anger me is also it has the same effect like it implies the same thing that charlie will never be good enough and this life will never be good enough either way one line that i caught this time was when charlie says you know we can spend more time together we can do things and she's like you know what would we do together eat at the diner steak and cobbler and it really struck me this time because cobbler is supposed to be bella's favorite dish which charlie had all these years because she liked it and bella follows it up with that's you not me and that really just solidifies that she's moved on that's not her anymore she's grown up while he's still stuck in the past that was an instance of good writing for me especially because we have explicitly established what the cobbler means to charlie that hurt I saw it as more of a recontextualization of the time that they've spent together. So Charlie has thought all this time that they've slowly grown closer and all this time they're spending together is meaningful. And then suddenly Bella throws it back in his face and it's not what he thought it was. And that's just heartbreaking. Yeah. But she leaves as she's driving away with Edward. There's this point where she sees her friends coming out of this restaurant or something just leading their ordinary lives and i actually didn't realize that when bella spots them edward spots bella spotting them and i would have liked to see more of his conflicted feelings about getting involved with bella because obviously at this point he's blaming himself for everything but this is not the first time these feelings come up this whole time he's been fighting with himself and a major thread of the story is him not wanting to deprive bella of a regular human life and i mean this is like the epitome of that and so it should definitely be here but just throughout the movie as well i feel like we don't get that as much as it's expressed to bella in the book yeah i agree but this leads into bella getting tricked into meeting james on her own in this ballet studio and this is a much more elaborate plan in the book like it goes on for a while it lasts days 
Mm-hmm. When she goes to meet James, first of all, I love the setting. They do such a good job of making James the scariest motherfucker on the planet. Yeah. But one giant thing that I thought was like core to the story and the plot and the mystery and everything is the, the connection that James has to Alice. This is the whole reason that he's here, and it's not in the movie. Alice was his prey, but then she got quote-unquote saved by somebody, by a different vampire who turned her, and as revenge, James killed that vampire who saved her. So there's this whole backstory. Like, he wants to hurt Bella to kind of get revenge, right? To the Collins. I think even without this motivation, the same thing would have happened because he's established as a tracker. Once he decides on his prey, he doesn't let it go. Right, yes. But the thing is, Bella wanted to give up her life to end this whole thing, right? But what she discovers here is that James won't stop at just killing her. He's making a snuff film to show to Edward and to torture him. And so her sacrifice will no longer mean anything. It won't end James's hunt because the end goal is no longer killing Bella. Right. Right, right. It's like an exchange. I get you, but they get her. The one victim who escaped me. And it's like she's an exchange for the victim that escaped. So that's like a core part of the main plot. And it's just not in the movie at all. Yeah, you're right. But I agree with you that the ballet studio is an excellent venue to play all this out. It's very dramatic. And there's also this shot where we see multiple reflections of James against Bella. And it's like a symbol of how much more powerful he is than her. Also, the glass shattering and everything just makes it even more (laughs) painful to watch. Yeah. James does bite her, but luckily Edward arrives in time. Actually, one thing I think that unfortunately doesn't work here because of the medium is the fact that once she kind of gets lost in this delirium after getting bitten, it's this like kind of more foggy chapter because we're in Bella's point of view. So we don't really see actually like Edward and Carlisle and everybody. It's like just glimpses. And in the movie, it's more explicit. I like it better in the book where we don't really know what's happening. And I think they could have done it in the movie yeah i agree i think one option they had was to really focus on like the one thing on the surface that sets apart the collins and other vampires is their eyes and so with bella being on the verge of a transition i wish we had seen her eyes (laughs) that sounds really weird but like it's very important and we're also seeing these flashes of her memory as she's turning and what i did like was that we get some of the same scenes as before but slightly different like we see a flash of the meadow scene where she was lying next to edward but this time it's snowing and it's almost like she's imagining something that she thinks she'll never get to experience because she's dying and so we're already seeing the things that she's seeing inside but to see that transformation already starting on the outside would have been interesting too instead of all the action stuff that we do see in the background yeah it's also like not well done the i still don't like the whole edward and carlisle scene. yeah if edward and carlisle are gonna be the focus of that scene they should have done better because they were just sitting there it was very anticlimactic actually <laughs> yeah but she recovers in a hospital and i will say a detail in the book that i found comforting is that the mom does take issue with this whole thing basically bella has to fake this lightness about their relationship to appease her mother Mm -hmm. this scene i think also makes much more sense in the book it's less you can never leave me obsession and more like i've just gone through a traumatic 
event, don't leave me alone in the hospital. Yeah. Even when they like extrapolate that into their actual lives, it's more like Edward is talking about leaving and now Toy Bella's like you can't do that we're friends and we have a relationship yeah I can't remember the exact phrasing in the books but I do remember it being a lot more low-key I mean yeah she is wanting to stay with him long term but when she's saying that she wants to be with him, it's just that she wants to be with him. Like It's at face value, kind of. But like in the movie, it's like she'll die if Edward leaves. And it came across as too intense, too much. Especially considering how fast things have gone in the movie. Yeah. Another thing that I was surprised by is that the book also ends with prom. And I'm like, really? It's the quintessential human experience, apparently. Fine, whatever. There's this scene where they have a talk at the prom outside. And I guess in the movie, this is the scene in the gazebo. Actually, this is in the book where we get a second mention of Twilight as a concept. So earlier it had been introduced, but Edward talks about how Twilight is the best time for vampires. It's the time of day when they have more freedom than they've had in the daylight. Twilight again. Another ending. No matter how perfect the day is, it always has to end. It's the safest time of day for us, the easiest time, but also the saddest in a way. The end of another day, the return of the night. Darkness is so predictable, don't you think? It's symbolic of a lot of things. He's talking about being human. Because no matter how good a life it's been, it's inevitably going to come to an end. And when he's talking about it being the safest time of the day, it's also like no matter what happens, humans are still going through that cycle of life and death around them. So there's almost a comfort in the fact that a hundred years from now, these people aren't going to be around. And it's at the same time that it's a comfort that if something does go horribly wrong, they'll still be safe. It's also sad because if they start to care for someone, their time is limited because in a hundred years time, it's going to be a completely different set of people around them. So I guess I read it as kind of portraying the bittersweet side of being immortal in a land of humans. That's a great read. I love that. But this isn't present in the movie at all. They never discuss the concept of Twilight. And like, what is it? Is it too on the nose? You guys had a giant fan behind Bella. And an apple <laughs> in the hands. <laughs> I just, I don't get it. Why do they over and over again refuse to adapt the most basic parts of this book? Yeah, I agree with you completely. One thing I will say, though, is I still do like the ending scene, cliched as it might be with the prom and everything, because I do like the juxtaposition of them having these complex discussions while prom is going on in the background. Also, I think despite them omitting these really interesting discussions. I still do think this is one of the stronger scenes in the movie because I think they truly managed to capture the complex emotions and highlight the difference in perspective between Edward and Bella, especially due to their age, which is <laughs> we haven't really talked about, but unfortunately it's a thing. <laughs> and both in the movie and in the book, at the end, I really like that when Bella is really insistent on being turned Edward, instead of biting her neck, just places a kiss there because I think it's a sweet gesture and it's a way I think of conveying that he truly believes that is the act of true love is to protect her from this fate 
that he didn't have a hand in for himself. And even though on Bella's side, her perspective is like, if you truly love me, you'll want to be with me until the very end of time. I think we can see that in Edward's eyes, he is the one who is carrying out the act of true love, which is not changing her. Even if that means that one day she's going to die and leave him. Yeah, that's great. So that's been our anniversary episode. Yeah. Taking a fresh look at Twilight from a new perspective. We've managed to unearth one extra absurd conclusion <laughs> through our rewatch. I guess Carlisle puts his kids in this uniform of all white so that he can tell <laughs> when they break the rules and eat somebody because it'll be bloodstains and it'll be very obvious. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, if I have to wear white all day, so do you. <laughs> so have your opinions changed and would you recommend this movie? Yeah, my opinions have changed. I think this is it. <laughs> You're breaking up with Twilight. <laughs> I came into this with the intention of giving it one more try to point out the strengths of this movie and I failed. <laughs> I think through this discussion, comparing it to the book, I've come to realize that not only is it not a good adaptation, but it's, I mean, not that I didn't know this before, but it's become increasingly clear that it's not a good movie either. <laughs> the main reason being that it lacks all the complexities and emotional nuance that the book even manages to have, given all of its own flaws. <laughs> so no, I wouldn't recommend this movie unless you are a huge fan of the Twilight books. And even then, it's not a good adaptation. So no, the answer is no. What about you? Yeah, I don't like it either. But here's the thing. I wouldn't recommend this to the general audience, but I think if you are a fan of Twilight or no, not even a fan, but like if you've read the book, I think you should watch the movie as like a parody of Twilight <laughs> because I'm genuinely being so serious when I tell you that after reading the book, I had a lot of fun watching the movie. I thought it was really funny. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad it worked out that way. The first time after you watched it, you were like, that was so painful. <laughs> you didn't want to go through it again so I was worried for you this time around the thing is like it's a bad movie right so there's nothing to get out of it if you haven't read the books but if you have read the books there's something to get out of it which is fun <laughs> but I think none of that will be present if you haven't read the books so I think only people who have read the books should watch this not for a good adaptation for fun remember I said for fun <laughs> <laughs> I recommend pairing this with some apples Makes sense. What about red vines? <laughs> they <laughs> red kept red popping vines. up throughout the movie and I was so sure they had been sponsored. Yeah. Oh, cobbler, if you can stand the heartbreak. Honestly, I think you should eat some fish. Ooh, fish is more faithful to the books. In honor of Charlie. Oh, there's tons of food mentioned in the book. The whole thing is like a recipe book because she even mentions the ingredients and the process. So you can cook along with Bella and then enjoy your meal. <laughs> yeah. It's a whole culinary experience. <laughs> so thanks for listening to us for a whole year i guess if you made it this far or if you're somehow a new listener maybe check out our other episodes we've got a whole year's worth of them including another one on twilight yes <laughs> with a much more confused me so enjoy that and a much more in denial me <laughs> But starting with the next episode, we are back on our regular schedule. But we do have something special planned for the next two episodes, which is a special feature on H2O Just Add Water. It's our first time on this podcast watching a TV show, so that'll be something new. <laughs> so we hope you'll join us for that. <laughs>
If you have any suggestions for movies we should discuss on the podcast, send them in at graveyard underscore slot on Twitter and Instagram or email us at thegraveyardslot at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Graveyard Slot. <laughs>